What's up everyone? Kevin here from Skywatcher and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday 10 a.m. Pacific right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. We cover everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on imaging and observing. And of course at the end of the month we have a special guest to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Uh, so it is the first day or sorry it's second day of June. It is June 2nd 2023. It's Friday. Uh, so we're back at it again. Thanks for everyone who's joining us. We uh, definitely appreciate you all being here. Um, if you like what you see here on the What's Up webcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a like on a video. Let us know we're doing a good job. If you have an idea for an episode, email us at info at skywatchusa.com and title it What's Up. Uh, we definitely appreciate you hanging out with us. Um, these are all recorded as well so if you ever want to go back and check out an episode there's a lot of educational episodes on various topics that we cover um, those are all saved here on our youtube channel you can go back at any time and check it out uh, if there's something you want to go back and review all right uh so like i said it's the uh it's the first friday of june it's june 2nd 2023 and uh, we're checking out what's up for the month in june um if you like what you see here, please go ahead and subscribe as well. Um, but you can also stay up to date with what's going on at Skywatcher. We are starting to run some sales again, so you can get some stuff at a discount. If you want to keep up with what's going on at Skywatcher, what's going up on the webcast, and all that fun stuff, you can go over to skywatchusa.com, hit subscribe and save up at the top, and join our email list, and you can stay in touch with what is going on here. A um, couple of things really quick before we jump into um, our whole what's up for the month. We have a bunch of stuff to cover. Um, let me see. Where's all my tabs? There we go. If you like what you see here, you can also get some pretty cool uh, swag at the skywatcher.threadless.com store. We have shirts. We have all kinds of things, phone cases, um, even shoes and leggings. Uh, we have all kinds of nifty things. So you can go over there at skywatcher.threadless.com and you can get different swag uh, to go with your favorite Skywatcher product. Uh, so that is all available at skywatcher.threadless.com. Um, another thing that uh, just happened this week, I would like everybody to know, of course, we have the annular solar eclipse coming in October, um, October 14th, 2023. That's a Saturday. Um, and that is only a few months away. It's going to be here a lot faster than we anticipate. Um, so if you um, don't have any plans or you want something to go do and you want to come hang out with some people, I would like to let you guys know that Seoul is back. Uh, we did Seoul last year. Uh, it was kind of a big event in preparation for uh, the eclipses, but we had a lot of requests to do it again. Um, and we wanted an excuse to just do a big get together for the eclipse. So we're going to do it at the same venue on October 14th. That's here in Phoenix. Um, a lot of the vendors that were here last year will not be attending because everyone's going to be doing various things for the partial or annular eclipse that's occurring. Um, but if you're looking for something to do and you still want to see a fleet of solar equipment, because we'll probably have a bundle of people out there anyway, you're welcome to come join us and do some observing and be a part of that whole eclipse event. And that is 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on October 14th um, here in Phoenix. If you want to know more, you can go to focus.astro.org slash soul 
and you can learn all about what this year is going to be. It's a little bit more watered down than last year just because of the logistics of everyone going out to do the annular eclipse. Here at Seoul, we'll have about an 80% partial eclipse, so pretty deep um, partial eclipse. But something to keep track of if you want to come out and join us. That is, uh, coming, uh, that is coming up soon. Uh, expected sun coverage here in Phoenix is about 80%. So the majority of the sun will be covered uh, pretty deep. And all the information is there. Um, if you want to know more about that event and you want to come out and bring your equipment and just hang out, you are welcome to do so. You just have to sign up and let us know. But all the information's there. And if you want to know more, um, just click on the Soul Event PDF link and that will take you to the PDF, um, which has a whole big write-up about all the stuff that's going to be happening um that's how it's gonna look um but that's all the details um that you might want to know there if you want to attend seoul so awesome so let's get to what's going on uh for june um so of course we have the moon the moon's the big bright object in the sky you've probably seen it last night or sometime in your lifetime it's probably been floating around um up there so new moon for the month is june 17th which is only a couple weeks away so that's going to put dark sky weekend um at the 17th and 18th um so that is coming up if you happen to be in arizona the grand canyon star party will be taking place that week um it actually ends the last night is on june 17th i believe yes so that's going to go from June 10th to June 17th. That's the Grand Canyon Star Party. Big dark sky outreach event. Um, I will be up there with the 28-inch and some fun stuff, as well as a ton of other people. So we look forward to seeing everybody there um, who's going to be in the area. If not, it's going to be a good one to get out and do some viewing and some imaging and start digging into those summertime objects. So that's going to be your dark sky weekend is the 17th and the 18th. New moon being on the 17th. Now the full moon is actually tomorrow. Um, June 3rd is the full moon and it is known as the strawberry moon. And the reason why it's called the strawberry moon is generally strawberries are ready to harvest about this time of year. Um, so tomorrow is the full moon and it is known as the strawberry moon. Um, so get out there, do some observing, maybe share it with some people if you can, um, or go do an outreach event on about full moons. Uh, but that's going to be cool. That'll be tomorrow night. That is your full moon um, event. Now, planets, we're not really in planet season anymore. Most of the major uh, naked eye planets are gone. Uh, let me backtrack this a little too late. Venus is still hanging out there. Um, very big and bright just after the sun goes down in the west. You'll catch it there. And, then, of course, Mars is hanging up in Cancer right now. Um crank up the volume why is my let's see is that any better that should be about as loud as i can go before it starts to crack so hopefully that's a little bit louder um for those who are having who can't hear me enough so pumped up the volume a little bit more i can't go any further it's still it's, or else it will start to distort so um so yeah there's right there um right now actually tonight is actually the best time to go do it but uh mars is actually in um the beehive cluster this evening so that's kind of a cool thing i think tomorrow night no tomorrow night it kind of edges out of there um but tonight if you have some binoculars or a camera or wide angle camera this will be kind of a cool photo op to catch mars inside of the beehive cluster if you don't know what the beehive cluster is that's m44 
uh, that's in the middle of Cancer the Crab. So you can check that out tonight. Kind of a cool little imaging photo op. I'm sure there'll be some cool stuff coming out um, tomorrow of people who got some shots there. But give that a go tonight if you can. Now, as the month progresses, Venus and Mars are going to actually get close. There's going to be a pretty cool uh, triangle uh, right here. This is on the 21st. We have a very thin crescent moon, Venus and Mars. Um, that will be on the 21st. That whole little conjunction, I guess you could call it right there. Um, and eventually, these guys, doesn't look like they're going to quite reach each other it looks like the closest they're actually going to get is probably july 2nd so that's going into next month um, but mars and venus will get closer to each other eventually setting as we move further into july but that's july and we're not in july we're just starting into june um, so let me backtrack here do, 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 do. but yeah tonight if you've got like a nice wide angle camera or star adventure tracker uh, go out and try to get mars and the um beehive cluster that's kind of a cool little conjunction that's going on tonight as far as the other planets nothing's really up right now unless you're an early morning riser <coughs> um that's pretty much it for planets we're kind of on the lull right now until we get into fall when the planets come back up into the evening sky and into the winter so uh but yeah not a lot going for planets at the time but we all do that <coughs> Of course, the sun, the sun is being very active right now. And if you have solar filters, now is the time to put those on your telescopes and get out and do some observing. Um, as we are starting to peek up into solar max, there's a bunch of cool stuff that's going on there. Let me pull actually what's going on right now. Um, if you want to know more about how to do this, this is Gong. Uh, just go to Google and type in Gong, G-O-N-G-H alpha, and it will bring up the Gong site. Now, there's a lot of cool stuff if you have a hydrogen alpha telescope for observing the sun. And you do need specialized filters for observing the sun. Don't ever go do it without one. Um, but if you have a narrow band solar telescope, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. You've got a very large filament. You have some prominences. You have this uh, kind of filiprom hanging out over there, as well as some active regions that will look really good in some of the H alpha uh, stuff out there. Now, they're also... Um, see if I can find it real quick space weather um, this is space weather here's uh, some really nice spot sunspots that are up there right now if you have a white light filter um, there are several different big areas uh, visible right now all these different active regions particularly 3315 3319 3321 and this whole chain up here looks pretty good don't know why this doesn't have a number um, but if you have a white light filter, uh, this would be a nice view to go out and check that out as well. As well as if you have one of the calcium filters, um, the calcium K or calcium H, depending on which one you've got. Um, this would probably look pretty cool right now. Um, to, so go ahead and check that out. If you can actually find, um, someone who's got one calciums, you don't see too often. Um, they're kind of a specialty filter for imaging. Usually it's white light or H-alpha, but there are some other filters out there. But if you want to know more about solar filters and all the different applications for them, we've done episodes like that before on the What's Up webcast. We can go back and actually watch and learn all about the different filters and what they do. 
um, white light, hydrogen alpha, and calcium being the three most abundant. Now there are other ones like sodium D um, that uh, Daystar cells, and there's other ones available as well as you want to get really specialized into the sun. But um, right now is a good time to go out and observe the sun right now. Just make sure you're using the proper filters. Um, as for our special guest, at the end of the month, we're going to have Simon Tang on. And Simon Tang is a master of solar imaging. He was at Seoul last year and did a talk about uh, processing and doing solar processing. He will be joining us at the end of the month to talk about all kinds of solar imaging. So if you're interested in that, he'll be on at the last episode of June. So it should be a good time uh, there as well. Um, so that's fun. So yeah, go out there. The sun's very active. There's all kinds of stuff to see in no matter what filter that you use. Just make sure you're using the proper filter and equipment before you go out there um, and know what you're doing. Meteor showers. Now, it's June. There's not a lot of meteor showers. Actually, there's no major meteor showers happening this month. Um, so, oh well. Uh, but July, we'll have some. And of course, when we get to August, we have the Perseid meteor showers. And that is um, the big one. So, nothing right now for uh, June. Uh, but we will have some stuff in July and moving into August. We will have some of the bigger stuff coming up. But nothing for June as far as meteor showers go. So, eh. uh, Comets. Comets are always changing. Um, they're kind of like cats, as David Levy would say about comets. As they they kind of come and go and they do as they please. So right now, let's see what's going on for comets. And let me pop these away um so i like to go to cometchasing.skyhound.com if you want to know anything about comets this is going to be a major list of all the decent or really good comets or up and coming comets that will be visible hopefully um, so there's a big list of them here they give all kinds of details um, that's going to be going on so uh, and it's going to tell you roughly where to look as well i don't know of anything right now that's of any major interest currently but the nice thing is on this website is it's going to tell you what could be fairly interesting in the coming months um so like that c uh 2023 e1 atlas uh this one could be interesting uh maybe as we move into july uh so we'll have to pay attention to that but that's what's good about this website is it actually not only tells you which ones are interesting but which ones could be interesting and if that's going to be a southern hemisphere or northern hemisphere comet to go out and observe so if you want to know about comets if you want to know what might be up and coming to keep an eye on uh this would be the website i would recommend a lot of these right now are completely telescopic uh targets so, and probably more in the realm of the eight inch or larger instruments. If you're doing viewing, if you have a camera on it, you could probably go hunt most of these down as long as it's visible in your region. But if you want to know about comets, this is the place to go, cometchasing.skyhound.com and keep an eye on it because it is always being updated. They've got charts, they've got information about it. Um, so this could be pretty interesting when you've got some big ones and there's some that have a lot of detail in them. Usually they're just these little one line things, but when they have like paragraphs on them, I would read into the details on that because it could be really interesting and have some pretty unique uh, photo opportunities coming up. So then a fun thing to go do is if you know there's an interesting comet coming up 
is kind of figure out where that comet's going to be on like Sky Safari or something like that and actually chart and see where it might run over a certain object like a galaxy or a nebula and it could make for some really interesting photo opportunities um, if you're going to try and image it. Um, and that's what's cool about this is it gives you enough notice to keep an eye on which comets and then go chart where it's going to run through and see if you can capture anything or observe anything cool. But right now there's no major comets up. All these are fairly faint, um, but you're go out and give it a shot. All right, deep sky. Now it's June. Let's be honest. Um, you could do a whole hour episode on the objects that are visible this time of year because right now we are losing. We're still in the middle of spring, technically. Um, we're kind of midway, almost done with spring. Once we get to June 21st is when we go over to summer officially in the Northern Hemisphere. But right now, um, we're still in spring. You still have a lot of the springtime objects up right now. So, you know, we still have Leo and Virgo. Uh, Ursa Major, Canis Venactices, Coma Berenices, all this major stuff up in here. Lots of galaxies to go view. But as the evenings progress and as we get later into the month and that moon gets out of the sky, you start to have the Milky Way come up. So you've got Scorpio and Sagittarius, Ophiuchus, Aquila, uh, Cygnus, and of course one of the favorites of the imagers is the constellation of Cepheus, which is just a freaking dust bowl um i will let you know that future totem targets are gonna be sitting in cepheus um because there's some really challenging stuff that sits in there um so good luck um we're gonna try to up the ante a little bit on the totem targets just to kind of push it for some people as well as maybe some of the stuff in the milky way but we'll see what comes up from that but for deep sky right now i'm just talking like early evening um, and then we'll start to move into some of the later evening stuff at the moment. But of course, you still have Sombrero Galaxy right now, M104, about 30 million light years away or so. Um, this one, you don't need majorly dark skies, but it does help. Some aperture does help as well. Um, it looks pretty good in an 8-inch telescope. You can start to see why they call it the Sombrero. But um, as you get to larger instruments, don't be afraid to throw some magnification on it, especially if you have access to something that's in that 20-inch plus range. It gets really cool to see the sombrero and throw in some magnification and see what kind of detail that you can get. Now for imagers, there's really not a lot you can do with this galaxy. You just either need dark skies or you need to persevere through the light pollution with like a light pollution filter, um, like a, a low a low glow from chroma or you know something like that some of these light pollution filters there's a ton of them out there now uh cls filters l pros you know all of that but um yeah so give that one go m104 it is doable from in town in a moderate telescope as well visually um, but it is rather small if you're imaging it so having something that's got small pixels and matching up the focal length to be able to blow the image up or a longer focal length to get some pretty good detail on it. But M104 is a really good one that's out right now. Um, so go out and check that one out while it's still visible. It is in the south, so if you live further north, it might be sitting fairly low. But give it a go. M104, the Sombrero Galaxy. Uh, of course, another one that's up right now, it's in the constellation of Leo, is the Leo triplet. M6566 and NGC3628. 
these have you're getting three for one now m65 and 66 are going to be the easier of the two uh there they are right there 65 66 those are going to be the easier uh ones to see but if you're going to want to see and you see 3628 you will need some darker skies it can be a little bit elusive um aperture of course does help with this but dark skies are going to be the end all be all if you're imaging there's a really nice tail that comes off of 3628 that's really faint so some good luminance uh is gonna be able to help pull that out or just a lot of exposure time on that to help pull out that um detail there so uh, that's NGC 60, I'm sorry, M65, M66, and NGC 3628. That's the Leo triplet. Um, so that would be a fun one to go do as well. It's a good one to go after out in Leo. Um, next one, you've got M81 and M82. This is up in Ursa Major, about 12 million light years away. These are probably two of the easiest ones um, to go after right now, uh, especially if you're looking for two-for-one galaxies. Uh, you can see these in like a 70 millimeter refractor in like a backyard. They look like little fuzzies, but you could catch them. Um, a decent telescope, like a six or eight inch there, you'll see the glowing cores. And M82, the cigar galaxy, this one on the right, actually does look like a cigar, a kind of elongated, even in an average telescope. Um, in darker skies, however, and larger aperture instruments, M81, you'll start to see the spiral arms really well. And of course, M82 is going to give you more structural detail, but you can get some really cool views of these two from darker skies and larger aperture scopes. Um, imaging wise, you can do one shot color. You can do uh, monochrome. Uh, the advantage I find with some of the modern cameras, especially those with have, if you're going to have a good luminance channel, is you're going to bring out all this integrated flux nebula that's actually floating out there all this dust and stuff that's it's like cirrus clouds um, all this just kind of floating out in that region this is very difficult to see i've heard of people confirm that they've seen it but it's a stretch so uh, definitely go out and try to check those out they're very easy if you're doing imaging don't be afraid to add a little bit of h alpha to help pop uh, the detail out in m82 but there's some good stuff that is floating out in that region. So definitely give that one a go. It's only 12 million light years away and they're pretty easy galaxies to go after. Um, next one's M63. This is the sunflower. This is Canis Venactices. This one's got some really nice detail and it, um, you can actually see this visually um, in a decent sized telescope, like a 10 or 12 inch telescope in dark skies, maybe even an eight. Um, but definitely go after this one. It's, it kind of gets overshadowed visually uh, because you are you've got the whirlpool and all these big galaxies up there. So M sixty three kind of gets overlooked, especially with the Leo triplet not far away. But don't forget about it. It's got some cool details in it, and definitely in the larger telescopes and darker skies, um, you can definitely go after it. Uh, it can be done in town or from dark skies because it's relatively condensed. It's a little bit easier to process in a light polluted location. Um, some of the fainter galaxies are very diffuse. It's hard to deal with gradients and stuff like that when you're imaging in town on some of these more nebulous uh, galaxies. But a lot of the detail in M63 kind of remains internal to the galaxy. Um, so you should be able to process a lot of that pretty easily, even from a 
light polluted location. So something definitely to think about. Uh, next one, of course, is kind of a staple. If you're definitely looking to get off of the beaten path of the Messier targets and you want to dip your toes into something cool like the NGCs, this one's not difficult, but it's very impressive. It's NGC 4565. It's in Coma Berenices, about 43 million light years away. Darker skies are always going to help, but this looks like a humongous UFO in the telescope, especially if you see this in like a very large telescope. It takes up almost the whole view. And it's really impressive. I've seen this in a 30 and a 36 inch, as well as my 28, and it's awesome. So if you are going to a star party in the next month or two, um, and you know someone there who's got a 20-odd inch or bigger, um, ask them to throw it on 4565 and take a look. It's really impressive. Uh, from in town, it's fairly difficult to see. It gets... Uh, it gets overshadowed by all the light pollution that's actually taking place around the sky but in dark skies you can definitely get um, around it visually imaging is a little bit easier in town it's a really good live stack target so if you're doing live imaging for an outreach uh, group this is a very cool one to do it comes out pretty easily without a lot of work um, but it's that big edge on uh, spiral galaxy so that one's pretty cool um, as well now, the next one, of course, it's a big one this time of year is M51, the Whirlpool. This is Canis Vinaxis, about 30 million light years away. This one's kind of weird um, to see one to see visually. Um, it is a Messier target, but it's a little diffuse in the arms, so it's kind of difficult to actually see um, this from in town. Even in like a moderate moderate sky on the outskirts of town. The whirlpool can be a little tricky. It's, it doesn't pop out as much as you might think. However, when you get to darker skies, it's it's like a quarter in the eyepiece. It's It really does pop out. And in a larger instrument, like a 20-odd inch telescope, it really looks like the pictures that you see like this. The detail really is actually there. And you can see the bridge between the two galaxies and all the uh, dust in the outer arms. And there are a lot of star-forming regions in this. Uh, so if you're going to be imaging it, uh, do some H-alpha on it. But in town, pretty much any telescope, you can actually image the Whirlpool uh, galaxy with. And um, you could use a 70-millimeter refractor, Eric, to image any one of these galaxies if you wanted to. They'd be small. Um, so you want to make sure that the camera you're using has small pixels to match up to the focal length. So you get that image scale, but you could use a 70 millimeter refractor to image most of these. Um, the Whirlpool definitely, though, uh, will be helpful with some focal length if you've got that 800 to 1000 millimeter focal length. Um, but that is a good one right there um, to actually go and check out for sure, uh, both visually and photographically. Um, now... I don't know why I didn't put this in there, but people did bring it up, and I should have. Um, I thought, I swore I had pictures of the galaxy in here already. But yes, uh, M101, uh, the pinwheel galaxy, as many of you know, has a supernova in it. And my understanding is it's still there, and I'm hoping it's going to hang out for at least another week so we can get it at Grand Canyon. But if you're not sure where M101 is, because we're talking about M51, they're right across the street from each other, essentially. So here's Ursa Major, or the Big Dipper. Um, right here you have Mizar and you have Alcade, uh, which is the two uh, end of the handle 
stars. Um, M51 sits right over here. The Whirlpool Galaxy sits right here. Is this? It's right there. Um, just under Alcade, and just across from Alcade is M101, the Pinwheel Galaxy. And in that galaxy right now is a supernova. Now, the supernova just occurred on the 18th of May, I think is when that actually occurred. Um, it was discovered by a gentleman in Japan who hunts supernovas. And uh, right now it is still visible and it's showing up in images. I don't know if it's starting to dim yet. Last I checked, it was actually still getting brighter, but that was a few, like a week or so ago. Um but yeah, if you want to get a hold of uh, something and something unique, go ahead and try to view M101 and seeing it, it should come out pretty easily. It's very obvious where it is and those who are sharing it um, have done a very nice job at showcasing where the, gal or where the supernova is in the outer arms. I believe it's out over here and the large uh, hook um, right here. But uh, our friend Trevor from Astro Backyard, he got a shot of it at the Texas Star Party and did a whole episode um, on it. So if you want to see where it actually is and an image of it and how he went about it, you can go over to Astro Backyard and watch their latest video that they did from the Texas Star Party about how he captured that. But there's a lot of other images out there as well. Um, but if you want to get out there, you can go to M101, do some viewing. You might be able to get it from your backyard. Probably it's not too difficult. Um, but that is definitely something to go out and check out if you want to see uh, a supernova. So it just looks like a little star, but it won't be there for much longer. Um, so if you're going to dark skies and you have the opportunity to actually put a large instrument on M101, definitely do it because A, it's worth the view, but B, see if you could actually try to track down the supernova. So, um, but if you're imaging it, it should be pretty easy in even the smallest of telescopes. It's just the image scale is going to be small. All right. Now we're moving into the summer target. So we have the Hercules cluster, um, M13. This is a, obviously one of the easiest uh, to see. But it is rising um, right now just after sunset. It's well placed. Um, it's in the upper portion of... Uh, Hercules, about 25,000 light years away. It's about 175 light years in diameter as well. You can see this in pretty much any sky. Um, even the average backyard and binoculars, as long as you know where to uh, point, you'll see the little fuzzy up there. And of course, you put a telescope on it, it actually looks like a cluster. Um, so M13 is the largest cluster that is generally visible in the northern hemisphere. Um, Omega Centauri is the largest globular cluster, but you have to have a fairly low southern horizon and probably live probably between 34 to 35 degrees latitude or lower uh, to see it. Um, I know I'm at 33 degrees and I can just see it from my backyard if I know exactly where I want to point and it barely skirts the horizon um, the tree line and all the other junk that's in the way here, but I have seen it from my backyard. Um, but the further south you go, uh, the lower the southern latitude is, the better um, to catch Omega Centauri. But if you can't get Omega, uh, Hercules is very high um, here and it will go practically overhead here in the northern hemisphere. Um, it's very easy to see. Imaging 
uh, globule clusters is very easy too. It doesn't take a lot of exposure time. These are very bright. You can saturate the sensor very quickly and you can get some really cool star color on it. So they're very easy targets to work with. Um, but you can start learning how to bring in star color and stuff like that. This shot was actually done by our friend Richard Wright uh, a while ago. And, uh, but M13 is an easy one to see. Now, if you're trying to observe M13, there's a cool little detail in it, which you can just kind of see right here. There's a dark lane right here. And then there's another one here and another one here. There's these three little areas. This one, it doesn't show up as well. Um, but visually, this is called the propeller. And the propeller is kind of a unique little feature that sits inside of M13. So it's a fun one to see in a, you know, 15 inch telescope or bigger, it's pretty easy to actually catch it. Probably even in like a 10 or 12, if you know what you're looking for, but larger aperture instruments, it's a harder one to actually catch. So, but globular clusters are pretty easy to work with. Um, they're pretty, they're very easy to image both in town and out of town. You don't need any elaborate filters for it. One shot colors work really well. Um, they're just very forgiving because of how bright they are. Um, you don't need to do any majorly special techniques. Um, probably the only thing you're going to have to learn is so you don't blow out the core because it's so dense that you might actually overexpose the core um, to make sure you get all the stars down in there. Um, you might need to take uh, shorter exposures and then overlay them so you don't blow the core out. So you have to learn how to process fainter areas like the outside versus brighter areas like the inside. And there's a bunch of other ones like M3 is up right now. Um, that's another good one, but M13 is going to be the biggest and brightest one that is visible um, here in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's a very nice one to go check out. And if you just happen to be looking at M13, not far from it is a smaller version of it, M92, um, which is on the lower portion of Hercules uh, as well. So that's M92, but there's a lot of clusters out there. M56 is another one um, that's in Lyra. It gets overshadowed by the Ring Nebula, which I have no idea why I didn't put that in here. I'll put it in next month because um, July is when a bunch of this stuff is basically up and ready to view. Um, but yeah, M56, M3, M13, um, all these are pretty good. And then there's a bunch of them down um, in like the core, M22 being another really nice globular cluster. That one's cool because it sits in the core of the Milky Way. There's so much stuff around it. Speaking of the Milky Way, we have M8, the lagoon. This is kind of like M42 of the summer sky. This is just starting to come up. So now we're starting to reach into the southern portion of the sky um, into the Milky Way. More of this will be talked about in July when it's up at a more uh, reasonable hour because this is still not until later in June or closer to midnight when some of these targets are actually readily available. Um, but M8, the Lagoon Nebula, is a awesome target to capture it does really good with uhc and o3 filters if you're doing visual work on it almost any aperture of telescope will do well because it's so large you can frame it in different ways um, but having some serious aperture on it if you're at the grand canyon come stop by and look through the 28 inch at this because we did this last year and it was crazy um it's also a fantastic night vision target um and yeah so it's a really good one to actually go off of and uh definitely worth checking out 
Uh, and then right next to it is M20, the Trifid Nebula. This is also in Sagittarius, about 5,200 light years away. Now, the Trifid's a little weird because um, it's got all three major nebula types going on. It has emission, which is the pink part. It has reflection, which is the blue part. And then it has dark, uh, which is the little black tendrils in there. Now, UHC and O3 filters will help with the emission portion, the pink part. Um, the blue is relatively difficult to see visually, um, so you're really just going to see the pink portion when you observe this. You might see some of the brighter extended areas and maybe some of the dark nebula that's actually visible, um, but mostly it's going to be pink. And this is really better in darker skies if you can do that. It's not far from the lagoon, and in wider field optics, you could probably get both in the field. Uh, imaging this does okay with narrowband. Um, the emission portion is really the only part that's going to do well with uh, narrowband, the pink part. Uh, the blues, uh, you really just need to do uh, one-shot color or you just need to do LRGB imaging. Um, and then the dark nebulas, they will come out as well. Um, really either way, but you're just looking for the absence of light at that point. Uh, but that's M20, the Trifid Nebula there. Uh, it's one of my favorites in the nighttime sky. And if you have a wide enough field of view and you can actually do a mosaic or connect them, uh, there's nebulosity that actually connects the Trifid all the way from the Trifid, M20, all the way to M8, the Lagoon. And those two are connected. And there's a massive collection of stars because you're basically in the core of the Milky Way at that point. So there's all kinds of detail and dark nebulas and veins of dust and stuff that are running all through uh, the region there. So it's a very dense uh, star field. It's a cool one to actually cruise through, um, but it's another one to actually image that as well. So it's a great area um, to actually take a look at. Now here's a little one that's off the beaten path. This is more for the imagers. This is Pi Scorpii um, in Scorpio. Uh, 460 light years at least for the star but the nebulosity that sits around this is all over the place and this is extremely faint so I don't know of anybody who's really seen it visually um, I should really give it a go um, but it is a cool region to image um, now there is a little bit of H alpha in this region so some of the narrowband hydrogen alpha it could be a unique one to actually shoot uh, this particular area, because of how the nebulosity is, and it's so it's sprawled out quite a bit across the frame, um, you really want a wide field, as wide as possible, like a Rokinon 135 would be awesome, or something short, like a Evo 50, um, Evo Guide 50 would be fine on this with a big old chip from Dark Skies, but that could be something to actually go after and give um, a go if you wanted to try that out as well. Um, this was shot with the Esprit 150, so it's actually closed in quite a bit, but that nebulosity goes all over the field. So wider the field, the better is what I would recommend here, but that's a pretty cool star field to actually go after um, if you can go for it. Um, and then of course, lastly, it's Milky Way season. So the Milky Way is really just Get yourself the dark skies, get yourself a tracker or a wide field lens and just go out and shoot the Milky Way. There's all kinds of cool stuff that are in there. And it's just cool to see overall. This is Moonrise at the Grand Canyon from a few years ago. That's uh, a panoramic shot that I did with no tracker. This was with a Q5 
Canon 60 Mark III and a Sigma 14 1.8 Art, which I don't have that lens anymore, but it was awesome. Um, but yeah, the Milky Way right now is in itself uh, worth going out to see. And of course, the later we get into June and moving into July is really prime time to go see it, especially in a dark location. It really, really stands out. Um, if you are coming to Grand Canyon, you have that altitude, 7,000 feet. So the transparency is also very good. Um, and a lot of that dark detail, you can see naked eye there uh, visually. So it's pretty cool to see. And then, of course, photographically, it's just amazing. So anyway, that is all the objects I have right now for June. Like I said, I know there's a ton of them that are up there right now that we could have spent even more time on that. Uh, but we have to get to our target of the month. So totem. Um, thank you for everyone who's taken part in this. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we have shipped everybody's. Um, I know some of you have asked where they are. We have shipped every every patch. So if you have not received it, there's something going on with the mail. Um, but we have shipped everyone's patches at this point. Um, so if you're not really sure how Totem works, um, this is for imagers only, um, just because we need actual proof that you did it. Um, and visually you just can't do that other than putting a check mark on a page and then we have to trust that you actually did it. Uh, so how this works is you go ahead and image the target that we provide. Our targets are generally picked um, because they're either off the beaten path or a little bit difficult. We're trying to encourage you to just go out and see something different and uh, get off the beaten path and explore all the cool things that are out there. So we will be trying to provide more of that, um, especially as we get more into the summer. Um, but how this works is you shoot the target, you have to provide your name, the equipment used, image specifications, mailing address, and this is currently for the US and Canada only. And then we also need a fit or raw file so we know that you actually took it within the month that the, the image was, uh, the challenge was active. You cannot use old data. You cannot shoot it outside of the month. It has to be done within the month that we throw it up there. And then if you do all of that and you send it all in, we send you this really cool patch. Um, now the patches do change every year. So we had the 2022 patch, we have the 2023, and we're already working on 2024, which we'll unveil at another time but uh that is the 2023 what's up webcast uh patch the 2022s i think are actually going to be fairly rare um because we did a very limited run of those patches and um we only did it for a couple months and at the very end of 2022 so the 2022 patches are going to be fairly hard to find um if you end up collecting these uh 2023 and um on you know you basically have the ability to win up to 12 patches a year um so yeah that's pretty cool so for may 2023 we did this guy this is the paper kite galaxy ngc 4762 i believe um so that was the challenge there and boy did a lot of you guys just kill it uh, this month we had nearly 30 submissions this month which so far is a lot um, and I'm actually really impressed with a lot of you guys were able to do um, with relatively short focal length optics because this galaxy is rather small um, I shot it with an Esprit 150 from our remote observatory at a thousand millimeter 
and it's still small. This is a uh, object that would really do well with, you know, two or 3,000 millimeter focal lengths um, as long as you have the ability to do so. And it's super thin. Um, so it's a very interesting object. I'm actually going to try to view this this month at the Grand Canyon uh, with the 28 because I have not tried it visually, but I want to give it a go. But it has these really cool tidal streams that actually kind of sit apart from each other on the arms. So it's a very interesting galaxy um, to observe. So the images you guys have sent in are really nice um, for a galaxy that there's really not a lot of information well there is information on but there's not a lot of images on it and that's kind of the whole goal of totem is to kind of get you out of the norm and imaging some kind of weird obscure target that's kind of not generally seen or maybe pushes the limit to um what imagers are doing right now so we really want to i kind of have approached this just the way I do deep sky observing is I want to take my daub and I want to push it out to whatever its uh, limits are. So um, anyway, that was May 2023's totem targets. Um, so when, how about June? Um, now June, um, this is one of my favorite targets up right now. Um, but June is Abel 39. Um, Abel 39 is a really nice planetary nebula in Hercules. Um, it's nearly spherical. Um, it's very cool to actually see it. If you're going to try to do this visually, you do need an O3 filter because Abel 39 is primarily oxygen three. Um, for those imaging, uh, I wouldn't, um, your best idea, uh, to approach Abel 39 is with narrow band filters, uh, H alpha and O3 primarily oxygen three though. Um, it's very abundant in Abel 39, but it's in Hercules, so it's in prime position right now, and anyone in the Northern Hemisphere can basically get it. Um, but I'll be curious to see what you guys get. There's not a ton of images out there on it. Um, there are plenty of them, but I'll be curious to see what you guys are able to pull down. Um, so that is the June totem target, is Abel 39. Again, longer focal lengths might be helpful on it. Um, you might need to do some serious exposure time and primarily in the oxygen three wavelengths um, is where that's really going to shine. Uh, so good luck to you guys on that. Um, those of you who did send in all their applications uh, for, sorry, all their entries uh, for May, uh, please go ahead and uh, start shooting away for June. Uh, we will get all the patches out uh, for the totem target for May. Thank you for everyone who entered. Your images were awesome. Uh, here is your next challenge um, and good luck. Uh, I look for I really looking forward to see what you guys get on this one. So have fun. Um, that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, if you like what you see here on the WhatsApp webcast, please go ahead and subscribe, leave a like on a video. If you have an idea for a future episode, please email us at info at skywatchusa.com, title it What's Up, and we'll try to put that into the mix um, moving forward. Um, Please go out and have a good time. Uh, next week, we're going to do a pretty interesting episode on imaging. Um, a lot of the stuff that I have shot in the past from our remote observatory has been this process where I shoot luminance with a monochrome camera and then I apply that to colored data. 
and we are going to try and show how blending monochrome luminance capability with one shot color can really give you a big old boost um, to your one shot color images and give you that monochrome look but not having to deal with all the color stuff and that is also going to be something interesting where as the real reason i do it is i don't want to sit there and do rgb um, with filters i want to have one telescope capture the color and then i just want to apply the color to a really deep luminance shot and it really it works out really well um, so that's going to be next week's episode so it should be kind of an interesting process for you imagers um, so please join us next week and we'll be going through that um, and that's pretty much it. If you want to see what's coming up for the rest of the week or rest of the month, it's all been scheduled. Um, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about star hopping for our visual uh, peoples. Um, I will be at Grand Canyon that week. So it's going to be a pre-recorded episode. And that episode, the pre-recorded episode is going to be airing on June 16th um, is when that will come up. But next week will be live just like today. Um, and again, next week's episode is luminance and color imaging, where we're basically combining luminance and one shot color data together to boost the two. So anyway, I hope you had a good time today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, that was June night skies. Uh, please go out and have a good weekend. Uh, it's full moon weekend. So it's still kind of a cool time to go out, try to get a cool view of, M44, the Beehive Cluster, and Mars tonight. That'll be kind of a cool one. I should probably go set up and do that myself. And uh, other than that, please have a safe weekend. I don't see any more questions floating out there. So please have a safe weekend. We will see you guys next Friday. Thank you very much for watching and take care. See you later. Bye, guys.